Last week we began a new book study together in the book of Romans. We started Romans chapter 1 and went down as far as verse 7. So this morning we'll pick back up in Romans 1 in the 8th verse and we're going to go down as far as verse 15. Romans 1, if you draw your attention to the 8th verse and if you'll stand with me as we do out of respect for God's word as we read our portion of scripture. Romans 1 verse 8, Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making a request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you as also the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And Father, we pause to just humbly ask for the grace and the assistance of the very Spirit of God who inspired these words to help us to understand them this morning. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you, as you inspired these things, would just teach and instruct us and that you would give us illumination and, and that you would cause your word to just find its way into each one of our hearts and minds in a personal way where it would divide between what's soulish and spiritual, that it would judge the thoughts and intents of our heart, that you would just speak to us in a personal way that we know the living God said something to us this morning. Give us an ear to hear what your spirit would say to this part of your church this morning. Bless your word, we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, no doubt this morning in this room, there are within many of you a strong desire to do something. And if you are, and I emphasize, in right relationship with the Lord, it is very likely and possible that it is God himself who has implanted that strong desire in your heart. The Bible says that he writes his will on the fleshly tablet of our hearts. And it's very likely that strong desire is from the Lord. Yet, how the fulfillment of that desire comes to pass may actually not be what you once thought or even what you're now envisioning. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 and 9 that God declares, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, sometimes the way that God works, and he has the prerogative to do that because he's in control, he's sovereign, he's an all-wise God. Sometimes the way God works is that a desire or thought that we may have for doing something may arise within our heart. And that very desire or idea or interest may be in complete accordance with God's will. It may definitely be a part of his plan. But yet then the way 
that God unfolds that desire that's arised within us sometimes may not be exactly what you envision. It may not be what you intended or thought it would fulfill in. It, it may not be what you expected. And this passage, I think, illustrates that very spiritual principle. Paul the Apostle, we can see here in our text, for quite a long time had a strong desire to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel, to minister there in that particular location. And ultimately, God did unfold that desire that was within Paul. That desire was in accordance with the will of God. And ultimately, he did get to Rome in time. Yet the reality is, as we study the Bible and this passage, we see that the way God unfolded that desire within Paul was quite a bit different than what Paul anticipated or envisioned and probably expected according to the way he perceived that God would fulfill that desire. Remember the background, we talked a little of this last week, is that we know and we can see here that there was the presence of Christianity in the area of Rome. There was obviously a church, if not churches, more than one congregation in Rome, yet Paul the Apostle had never at this point historically ever been to Rome yet. So we know that Paul himself did not bring Christianity to the area of Rome. Paul was not the individual who was responsible to plant the first church in Rome. We discussed last week in our study together some of the possibilities of how the gospel got to Rome and how a church was established there. Yet because Rome was a capital city of the Roman Empire, Paul knew it was a strategic city. And because of that, very wisely, he wanted to go there. He wanted to minister there because he knew whatever happened in Rome, it was a strategic city in the Roman Empire. It influenced all the other regions around the Roman Empire in that day. So for that reason, Paul, a wise man and a, a strategic thinker of how to impact the world, had a real burden and a desire to want to go to Rome because he knew what happens in Rome will impact other regions and areas around it. It was just a strategic city, not to mention... Rome was known very clearly historically to kind of be sin city of that day. It was a place that was known for all types of immoral practices and just brazen sinful activity. It was society known for selfish pleasure seeking in every form. In fact, even those who were secular writers indicate that reality. The ancient philosopher Seneca called Rome, I quote, a cesspool of iniquity. That's a pretty good description. That probably would describe a few different cities, I'm sure, even in the United States of America today. A cesspool of iniquity. Another ancient writer described it in this way. He said, Rome is a filthy sewer into which all the dregs of the empire flood. So we can understand why Paul the Apostle certainly wanted to get there personally and not knowing yet how he was going to get there or when he eventually would, as we said last time, he's prompted to pick up his pen or the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and to write a letter at least to try and impact the Christians that were there, to strengthen them, to encourage them in their relationship with God and to do what he could to equip and build them up spiritually. And he writes as well in this letter to make them aware that he did have plans to visit them, that he ultimately believed that he would get there. If you look with me again back in verse 8, Paul, as he's sort of now getting into his letter after the introduction, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith 
is spoken of throughout the whole world. So Paul opens the letter by telling them how grateful he really was for the work that the Lord was doing among them and as a means of, I think, kind of encouraging them. Paul says, hey, I just want you to know. He says, man, I really thank God for all of you. I'm really grateful to the Lord for who you are and what he's doing in your life. And he's trying to encourage them and let them know that he appreciates and valued them and how he just, whenever he thought of them, it just brought an attitude of gratefulness to God. Lord, I'm just so thankful for those particular believers. And know specifically what main things he was thanking them for, the spiritual work apparently that he knew was happening among the believers there in Rome and the impact that they were having on others, he says, throughout the whole world, which would be a term basically described throughout the, the, the Roman Empire, Paul's saying. And, and I'll tell you, when you look at what Paul says there in verse 8, look at the text, he says that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world, the whole Roman Empire. That's a pretty impressive testimony, would you agree? That's a pretty powerful impact that this particular group of Christians in Rome were having in their specific day. Apparently, though there was a very wicked culture in Rome, though it was a very sinful city, the cesspool of iniquity, there at the same time was a very bright and vibrant light of God's people that were there making a presence and an impact in that culture and in that specific community that was then even as a ripple effect radiating out to other regions around it as well. Uh, and so much so that their commitment to Jesus and how they lived for him and served him, Paul says it was being talked about in regions far beyond all around the known world in that day. And I can't help but to think how wonderful that when a group of believers begins to live so faithfully for the Lord that their faithfulness to Jesus and their dedication to him, as a result of that, people in the world, not fellow Christians, people in the world, as a result of seeing the dedication of believers to Jesus, actually among themselves start talking about these people's dedication to the Lord and saying things like, man, I just, these people are really dedicated to Jesus. Or that guy is really dedicated to the Lord. This particular girl that I work with, I mean, she, she, she is just really dedicated to the Lord. She's the real deal. She's sincere. She's not like anybody ever met before. She's not like some of the religious people I've known in my This person really seems dedicated to the Lord. And I think to myself, what a wonderful thing to have such an impact and an effect for Jesus that it stirs people to actually begin to talk about that rather than a lot of other things people talk about. What a great uh, aspiration for us and a question to ask yourself this morning. Is your commitment to Jesus Christ, Christian, is it having an impact on people around you? Is the way that you're living for Jesus and how you're serving him and what you're doing, is it having an influence on all the other people around you? If you're a young person, do your fellow students and your fellow friends know and know very clearly that you not only know Jesus, but that you are sold out and living for Jesus Christ and that you are different than everybody else in your school system or among your peers or maybe even your other fellow Christian friends? 
that want to be saved but yet live as carnally and sinfully as they can but just kind of hang on to the title of a little fire insurance. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I, I want to be the most carnal Christian I possibly can. But then they look at you and say, wow, but he or she, they, they're really serious for the Lord. And it has an effect like a Daniel or other young people who impact those who know Jesus as well. How about your co-workers and your family? Are you having an impact on them that causes them to be stirred to talk about the serious dedication and commitment that you have, Lord. Jesus said that we're to be what? Salt and light. Both of those things have an effect upon what they come into contact with. When you shine light into a dark room, it has a very clear effect. When you put salt onto a wound, it, it has a rather strong effect. If you put salt on food, it has an appetizing, drawing effect. We are to have an effect on our world around us. And here these saints were doing that very thing. And Paul was just rejoicing of the impact that they were having. And and notice his interest to minister in Rome in some ways was being fueled by the things he heard that God was doing among those particular believers there. And as I look at this as a way sometimes God leads us in our lives, that's often how interests and desires both originate in our hearts at times and are fueled in our hearts is kind of a similar way like Paul here. We hear about what the Lord's doing. Maybe we hear about what the Lord's doing somewhere. We we hear about what God's doing. And in some way that kind of creates an interest or it fuels an interest to want to get involved, to want to engage ourselves. And Paul's desire to go was fueled by he heard, hearing about what was going on there. He speaks of it. In verse 8, verse 9, he continues by saying, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, he says, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making a request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. So Paul goes on to indicate that he, notice, began his ministry among the people there in Rome by doing what? Very simply, by praying for them. By praying for them regularly. Wherever Paul the Apostle, it seems, was located at physically, he served in the gospel ministry of the Son of God with all of his heart, with every part of his being. When you look at the book of Acts and you read the New Testament letters, it reveals that Paul was a dedicated servant of the Lord. And he tirelessly gave himself to the service of God's kingdom and to be a servant of the Lord wherever Paul was at and dwelling. He labored faithfully and he served in a way that had an impact. Yet, Paul's ministry you see here and in other places was never limited to just his geographic location alone. I find that interesting. Notice what Paul's saying in our text here. Look with together in verse 9. He says, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul's saying God's aware even though others may not witness what I'm doing, how I serve as well, he says, also with my spirit, the ministry of the son of God. Now, question How could Paul serve in the gospel ministry with his spirit in places like faraway Rome or in locations where he wasn't in direct contact with people whom he was separated from? Well, he answers that very issue 
right here in our text in verse 9 by telling us the way he did it was how? Through a ministry of prayer. He served God with his spirit in a way he couldn't with his body and heart and soul and mind if he was present geographically. He served God with his spirit through a ministry of prayer in places beyond where he was presently located at in his geographic location at the moment. Paul would pray and preach and serve and teach and minister wherever he was at the present time, wherever God had him and to those locally that he had direct access to. He was always fruitful. But he also continued to minister beyond that very region. He would minister through intercessory prayer in other regions with people that he wasn't physically present with at the time. Those who he didn't have direct access to, he still ministered to them through a ministry of intercessory prayer to help in that way. And what a great model and pattern for our lives as fellow Christians. That wherever the Lord has put you right now, in your life, bloom where you're planted. The job that he's given to you, it's not just a place to make money. That is your missionary calling of where to impact people for Jesus. How to be a servant, how to represent the Lord well, how to look for opportunities to speak into people's lives and be a different employee than everybody else there. In your school system, in your family, wherever the Lord has put you, the church that you consider a home fellowship that you gather regularly, wherever you're at locally, engage serve, redeem the time, make the most of the opportunity, pray and preach the gospel and teach and serve and, and be a fruitful, effective Christian. But don't let your ministry be limited to just where your body's at physically because you can minister in other areas as well with your spirit through intercessory prayer which has an incredible impact in other locations. Maybe you are separated from someone you can still minister to them. Hey, are you a parent? Do you send a child away to college and you think, oh man, now I can't have any influence on it anymore? You're kidding me. You can probably have a greater influence at that age than you could if you were talking to them every day because you can talk to God for them. And you can pray for your children who've left the nest and you can intercede and have fruitful ministry in their life still by interceding for them. When you're separated from someone, for a season, you can still intercede and minister to them in prayer by asking God to work in their life. And prayer is such a powerful, fruitful ministry to people for a number of different reasons. I'll list just a few of them. Number one, people can't resist and refuse the ministry of prayer. True. If I try and share the gospel with somebody, they can clearly refuse me sharing the gospel with them. Turn me off, ignore me, blow off what I say. And when you try and share with somebody and talk to somebody face to face, they can resist that. They can refuse it. They don't have to listen to it. They can, people can't refuse the ministry of prayer. They can't refuse it. It's a ministry people can't stop and hinder. It will be fruitful in that way. It's a ministry that really we can't mess up in. We can mess up in other forms of ministry. You can give a bad teaching. Don't say amen. You can... Kind of feel like you oopsed when you were trying to slip the, go uh, slip the gospel and share it in somebody's life. And, oh man, I just really blew that opportunity and I just stumbled over my words. We can mess up in other minutes. You can't mess up when you minister to somebody in prayer. And not to mention, powerful changes happen supernaturally when we seek God to move in people's lives in prayer. The Bible is very clear and life reality demonstrates that Jesus spoke of prayer moving mountains. 
that stand in the way. James said in his writing, James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I love Acts chapter 11. It says the church prayed and miraculously prison doors were opened and Peter was released from what was imprisoning him. We see in the book of Philemon that we studied a few weeks back where Paul says, prepare a guest room for me for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Paul was saying what? I believe that if you pray for me, God's going to open a door. I believe that God, through your prayers, is going to orchestrate his will. Prayer is a fruitful and effective ministry. Notice how Paul prayed. It tells us here in our verses, Paul says, without ceasing, making mention of you always. He prayed continually and faithfully. It seems as a daily habit. Whenever they came to mind, whenever they came to Paul's mind in his day-to-day activity, He spoke to God on their behalf. It seems that these believers were a part of kind of a revolving list of people that the Lord had put on Paul's heart that as they would be triggered in his memory bank as he'd think about them as he was doing whatever he was during the day he he would just lift them up before the Lord and he'd speak to God on their behalf and just ask the Lord to work in their lives to bless them, to strengthen them, to protect them. And I'll tell you something. He didn't pray for them just once, but regularly and consistently. And I really think that the Lord does do that in all of our lives. I think in all of our lives, there's always just sort of a, uh, and I call it a rotating list of maybe select people who the Lord would have you to pray for consistently, regularly, faithfully. Not just pray for them one time, but those people who he just seems to lay on your heart and bring to your mind periodically consistently that in whatever you're doing day to day working at your job washing dishes taking care of your little one at home whatever you're engaged and he just brings that person to mind or he brings that ministry to mind or he brings that individual and and they're just a list of people that the lord says listen as i bring them to your mind i'm prompting you pray for them intercede for them Paul the Apostle, clearly, he was a fruitful Christian and it is so evident, I can't emphasize it enough, he was a man of prayer. It's so evident that prayer marked his lifestyle. The Bible tells us that prayer is simply just talking to God. As a Christian, prayer should be like oxygen to your spiritual life. It should be oxygen to your spiritual life. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, it is the will of God for us to pray without ceasing. The problem is, is our idea of prayer. Prayer is not just, oh, well, let me fold my hands and close my eyes and bow my head. Listen, we teach our kids to do that because when they're four and five years old at the dinner table, if not, they're distracted and they're poking one another or doing weird things. So we, we hey, close your eyes, take away the stimulus Bow your head, fold your hands so you're not fighting or pulling your sister's hair. But prayer is just talking to God. You don't have to close your eyes to pray. In John 17, Jesus had his eyes open. He was looking up into heaven and he was praying. If you pray in your car, please don't close your eyes. Or your prayer will be answered real quick. You'll be in the presence of God. (laughs) And I hope the person you hit's ready if that's the case. But you can be doing day to day. Just talk to God. Talk to God. That's all prayer is, having a conversation with God. The idea of praying without ceasing isn't that you spend every day locked in a closet on your knees seeking God in prayer. That's a part of prayer. 
But the idea is that you begin your day and all throughout your day, you just stay in constant conversation with God. Talking to him about what's going on. Lord, help me with this. Father, help me not to strangle this person. You know, all the little things that you need as you just talk to God throughout your day. Asking him for strength and lifting up others as they come to your mind. Paul says, without ceasing, I make mention of you. He just made mention of them before God throughout his day. And look what he prayed for. He tells them in verse 10. He says, making a request, if by some means now at last... I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. So Paul's prayer involved what? He says, verse 10, asking for an open door, an open door to be able to get there to Rome to serve and to minister to those people. But he adds in that verse 10, if it's according to the will of God. I hope to find a way to get to you. The door would be open. He says, if it's according to the will of God. See, up to this point, God had kept Paul right where he was. And he hadn't been able to get to Rome yet by this point in his life. But Paul was still apparently, it seems, asking the Lord about this desire that still resonated in his heart. And because that desire remained, he just kept that desire before the Lord and asking the Lord about this desire, which shows us something, that Paul understood the purpose of prayer the purpose of prayer the purpose of prayer is not to dictate to God my will and then in a demanding way as if God's a cosmic genie expect that he has to do exactly what I'm saying and comply with my will because I asked it as if somehow that's what God is he's a cosmic genie if you you get a few wishes in your time on this earth if you rub the cosmic genie and demand or listen he's God Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup away. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. The purpose of prayer is to seek God regarding our desires, our thoughts, uh, you know, our interests, things that we sense in our lives, things that we need or want, or even at times would like to see God do. But to realize that as we seek God regarding those things in prayer, we're doing it in such a way that our will comes into line with his will. That's the purpose of prayer, to find out what the will of God is and to pray in a way whereby we honor and respect the will of God. In essence, what Paul's saying here in our verses, he's saying, I'm asking God that if it is within his will, that he'll open a door for me that I'll be able to find the way to be able to get to you to fulfill this desire and burden that's within my heart to come and minister there in Rome. And see, when we have desires in our hearts and ideas in our mind, which I said at the beginning, we all do. That's a natural part of life on this earth. We have desires to do something. We have an idea of something. We have to humbly embrace the will of God as the foremost priority still. A lot of times we have a desire arise within or an idea in our mind and that desire idea drives us to want to go pursue it and to want to chase after it. Again, nothing wrong in that. But we have to esteem humbly and respectfully that the will of God is what is of foremost importance. To honor him, number one, and number two, that's what's going to be best for you and that's what's going to be best for me. We read in the word of God in Acts 18.21 when Paul was departing from Ephesus, he said this, I will return to you again, God willing. 
We read as well in 1 Corinthians 4.19, Paul says, I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. If you're a note taker, write in James 4, verse 13 to 15. There, James instructs believers to make plans, but he says, make your plans in pencil and give God the eraser. James says, we should say, if the Lord wills, we shall do this and we shall do that. All of our plans, all of your pursuits should be preceded by prayer, preceded by prayer, and then they should be pursued in prayer. Let me say that again. All of your plans, all of your pursuits, whatever they may be, vocationally, relationally, what you purchase, what you do, what you, all, all of those things, they should be preceded in prayer and then they should be pursued in prayer. Oftentimes we have an idea, we have a desire, and then we do part of what we read here in our text in verse 10. Those three words, see those three words, find a way. Here's what many times happens. We have an idea or desire, and then we try and find a way to make it happen. I got an idea, so I'm going to find a way to make it happen. I got a desire, so we need to find a way to bring it to pass. In fact, we'll even pray, God, here's our idea. Bless it, Lord. I'm praying. See, God, bless it. Oh, bless it, God. I know, yeah, I mean, I know this guy's not a Christian, but he's only, he's only carrying a gun on the weekends now, Lord. He's really cut back. And he said he's going to come to church one day. I'm trying to find a way here, Lord. Bless it. When the reality is, we shouldn't be just driven by finding a way. We should prayerfully and patiently listen, do what the text says. Find a way in the will of God. Paul says, I want to find a way in the will of God. Can I caution you this morning? Don't just be driven by desires. Don't just be driven by desires. Be directed when you have a desire that lines up with a doorway that's in accordance with the will of God. And then when those two things meet together, you stay in step with the will of God. Paul demonstrates that great wisdom here. Good for us to follow as well. Verse 11, he goes on to say, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that, here's why he says, so that you can be established or edified, built up. Paul had a desire to be present with them and he tells them why here in verse 11. He says, I really have a burden to see you because I want to contribute something helpful. I want to impart something, he says, that will strengthen you spiritually. He says in our verse here, verse 11, I want to impart to you some spiritual gift. Now, I'm not certain here. He could be referring to his desire to exercise his spiritual gift that the Lord had given to him through the Holy Spirit to serve and to help them. In other words, Paul could be saying, I want to be able to exercise the gifts that I know the Lord has given to me to serve among you and to be able to establish and strengthen you spiritually. Or he could be saying, when he says, I want to impart some spiritual gift, he could also be making a reference there to his desire to come and be able to maybe lay hands on them as an apostle and a church leader and to ask that the Holy Spirit might bestow or impart spiritual gifts in their lives 
as new converts and Christians so that they would have all the gifts that they need to be established in the faith and strengthened to be used by God in a greater way. I'm not certain. Either case, Paul wanted to see them develop spiritually. He wanted them to be established in their walk with God, rooted and strengthened to a deeper level spiritually. And I look at this and I think, man, that is a great example of the heart of discipleship. That's what discipleship is. Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. He didn't say make converts of all nations. I understand evangelism is important. And it seems a lot of times all we're concerned about is converts. Let's make converts. But it's nothing really fruitful ultimately happens if you give birth to a child and you just leave it on the side of the road and you walk away from it. That's not very good for a newborn child. Jesus said, no, make disciples of all nations. Those who make commitments to Christ and understand what it means to make a commitment to Christ and become fruitful followers of Jesus Christ that honor their Lord and represent Him well in the world and grow into maturity and live out the Christian life. Don't just profess to know God and then deny Him in His works. And Paul here shows a heart of discipleship. He wanted to establish them. He wanted to impart something that would help these fellow believers be strengthened and established. And I tell you this morning, God has given to every Christian. If you're a Christian this morning, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, you've been born again of God's Spirit, the Bible says that every Christian has received spiritual gifts. Romans chapter 12, we'll talk about them. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 describes them. The question for you this morning as a fellow Christian is this. How are you using the spiritual gift or gifts that God has given to you to strengthen fellow believers? How are you using your gifts? Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift of God that's within you. God's given you gifts. God's given you at least clearly one gift, the Bible says spiritually. Discover that gift implement that gift, impart that gift to strengthen and establish other believers in the body of Christ, as Paul said he desired to. Verse 12, he says, that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. So he's alluding to how he knew that if he got there to serve them, he's indicating it would be mutually beneficial or mutually encouraging. One translation renders this verse, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Paul understood a spiritual principle in ministry that when you give of yourself to bless other people or to serve other people in whatever way that is, you will always be blessed and encouraged in return. There's a mutual encouragement. When you decide in some way to serve somebody or to give of yourself, you know, I think of times when maybe if you've gone on a missions trip, I've gone on missions trips, or maybe you've engaged in some outreach, and how many times do we hear afterwards, oh, man, I went there to go serve these people, and I got so blessed as a result. And there's, there's just this built-in spiritual principle that you experience. Proverbs 11.25 says, He who waters will be watered himself. Hey, you feel blessed and dry? Is it because you're just sitting there like a Christian couch potato being selfish and doing nothing? Jesus said regarding washing the disciples' feet, he says, you've seen me do this, you do also. And then he said, blessed are you if you do these things. In other words, he says, do you want to get blessed? Serve. Serve. Stop just looking and thinking about your own interests. Find a way to serve others. And he says, and watch, you'll get blessed as a result. It's a wonderful thing. It's, a, it, you know, it's that mutual benefit of not only being able to give and bless, 
But Paul says there's a mutual encouragement, he said, that I know will happen if I can get there and to minister to you. Verse 13, he goes on to say, no, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as the other Gentiles. So Paul, again, he wants them to be aware that he did endeavor to come to before, that he planned to get to them, but thus far, he says, I've been kept back. Now notice a few things with me here in these verses. First of all, notice Paul did make plans. But as I said earlier, he wrote his plans in pencil. And he then was submitted to and accepted and yielded to God's direction and God's timetable for his life activities. He was yielded to God's ultimate will. Up to this point, Paul says, look, I've planned to get there. He says, I want you to know that I've often planned to come to you. Up to this point, Paul planned to get there. He even, it seems, made some attempts to get there. But clearly, he says, verse 13, I have been hindered. Up until now, I've made plans. I've made some attempts, but I kept being hindered from doing what's on my heart and getting there to Rome. Question is this, what was hindering Paul? Well, again, if you're interested in discovering a little further, I would encourage you, write in your notes, Romans 15, verses 19 through 24. Because there we get a little insight into what was hindering Paul. And that seems to be very simply this, by way of summary for this morning, for sake of time, is it seems that Paul, in a sense, kept being redirected to serve in other areas. And because there kept being open doors and opportunities for Paul to serve in other regions, it seems that that was the thing, the needs in other places that God wanted to be addressed first, was the thing that kept hindering Paul from getting to Rome at this point in time. God, who was his commanding officer, said, Paul, you're my servant. You're a soldier in my army. So I'll station you where I want to station you. And Paul, I know you want to get to Rome. I know you have that desire in your heart. But right now, there's a battle over here on this front, and and that's the more critical battle right now. Paul, this is the location I want you to be at for this time. And it seems that Paul was preoccupied and therefore not being freed up circumstantially because the Lord kept wanting to use him in other areas where God wanted to address first and doors were opened and he was serving there. The Lord kept directing his steps into other various areas and places of service, which means this, it was not the devil that was hindering Paul. Not in this particular situation. It was not the devil that was hindering Paul from doing or fulfilling the desire in his heart. It actually was the Lord that was hindering him. Jesus was running interference in his life. Jesus was redirecting his steps. He kept putting Paul where he was needed foremost instead of letting him go fulfill that particular desire that was in his heart. Ultimately, it's fulfilled, as we said, But in the interim, the Lord kept hindering him and putting him where he needed him foremost first. It also appears that it was just not God's timetable for Paul to do what was on his heart quite yet. In fact, Paul alludes to this experience of being hindered and redirected by the Lord in the book of Acts as well. Again, Acts 16, verses 6 to 10. Listen to what the Bible tells us regarding Paul's ministry. It says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And then when they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. 
So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him in the vision, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after we had seen the vision, immediately, Luke says, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Do you see that reality? Paul tried, he made plans. He tried to go into Asia. He's, the Holy Spirit forbids him somehow. He doesn't let him get there. So Paul says, all right, well, maybe he wants us to go over here to Bithynia. And he tried again. And again, God doesn't permit him to go. And then he has a vision and he says, that's it. The reason the Lord closed that door and that door is because this is the next place that he wants us to serve at. This is the next, in a sense, season that he wants us to give ourselves to. And we see from Paul and the Bible, look, it's okay to make plans. Don't buy into this super spiritual attitude of, well, we, you know, we shouldn't plan, just whatever, be flexible. To whatever. It's okay to make plans. I think a Christian who doesn't make plans is a poor steward. The Bible tells us to make plans. Paul made plans. He says he made plans. The book of Proverbs tells us to make plans. Making plans is being a wise steward. And it also guards us from becoming idle. And just wandering around, doing nothing. What are you doing? I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm still asking God what I'm supposed to be doing. In the meantime, I've been doing nothing for 16 years. I'm just doing nothing. I'm, I'm just trying to... No, make plans. Pray. What's God telling you? What do you sense God's telling you? Make plans. That's a wise thing. It's a biblical thing. It will help you stay productive to make plans and to pursue plans. But when you make plans, God may hinder your plans. You may be pursuing your plans and in the midst of that, God may hinder you from pursuing your plans. If so, it's because the Lord has a purpose in hindering you. Don't panic. Jesus may run interference because he's trying to fulfill his bigger plan that you just don't fully see yet. You'll see it ultimately. But if you hit a roadblock when you're pursuing something, whether it's trying to purchase something or take a step in a direction or pursue a ministry or enter into a relationship, if the Lord runs interference, it's not harming anything. It actually is helping you. It's helping you stay on course. It's helping you stay on track and in line with the will of God. So if you experience a roadblock and you're being hindered, hear me, Yield to the roadblock. Don't push past the barricade and be driven so strongly by your desire and idea and push past that barricade and end up experiencing things that you wish you would. And it could be the Lord will use your desire or idea, but he just might fulfill it a little differently than you envision he's going to fulfill it. Or it just may be that his timetable's not right yet. So wait for his timetable and patiently Walk along the journey as he directs you. Paul says that what he wanted to do, he says, verse 13, was to have some fruit among them as he had among other Gentiles. Paul knew that the Lord called him to the Gentiles and he wanted to see the Lord now bring greater fruit as he went to another group of Gentile people there in Rome. And he says, I sense this is what the Lord is calling me to do to keep ministering among the Gentiles. Verse 14, he says, I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the wise and unwise. And as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So Paul indicates, verse 14 and 15, that he possessed, notice, a sense of spiritual obligation as well as a real eagerness, a readiness 
to want to go to Rome. Regarding this sense of spiritual obligation before God, he says, verse 14, he says, I feel like a debtor. Now, what's a debtor? I hope all of you don't know. A debtor is someone who, in a sense, has an obligation to fulfill. And Paul says, within my spiritual calling among the Gentiles, I have a sense, I just feel a sense of obligation from God. I have a sense of obligation that he wants me to minister in this way and among the Gentile people. He says, both to the Greeks and barbarians. That's a way of saying to those refined as well as those not so refined who would be called the barbarians. He says, I, I have an obligation to minister and preach to those who are wise, that he has learned and educated, as well as to the unwise, those who are less educated. Which shows you that Paul didn't make class distinctions. He knew everybody needed Jesus. Everybody needed Jesus. That was his sense of obligation. And he had a sense of eagerness too. He said, verse 15, as much as in me, I'm ready. The idea there is eager, enthusiastic. I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. The idea, again, ready there is, is like you're raring to go. We say things like, I am so ready for, for this to start. Or I'm so ready to leave. Or some of you may be thinking, I am so ready for him to stop talking. That's the idea there. I'm eager. I, I'm ready. There's an eagerness in my heart. I want to go and preach the gospel there. There was a sense of strong desire. And in our next study in verses 16 and 17, we'll talk about Paul's desire to preach the gospel and what preaching the gospel actually means. But I want you to notice in verse 14 and 15 that often when we have a desire from the Lord, as Paul did, a lot of times these two things that he mentions, verse 14 and 15, will be present. A sense of obligation that we have a sense that we just need to fulfill something. We have a sense in our heart that we have to satisfy something like an unsettled debt. It's just, Lord, I just have a sense of obligation that this is what God wants me to do and I need to do it. And also times when God is leading, there's also a sense of eagerness, a strong desire and interest, a readiness to step into something. Let me say this by way of kind of wrapping up what we're talking about in these verses. Here's what's interesting. As Paul's writing in these verses and he's telling the believers there in Rome that he desires to get there, he's eager to preach the gospel and minister in Rome, we know that desire is from the Lord. It's a legitimate God-given desire. Acts 23, verse 11, Jesus in a vision confirms to Paul that he is supposed to go to Rome. Yet, the desire to get to Rome came about in a different way than Paul envisioned that it actually would. And here's how we know that. As we study the Bible, we see that Paul ultimately does get to Rome. The way he gets there is quite different than he expected, though. He's arrested for preaching the gospel. And then he appeals to Caesar as a Roman citizen who was in Rome. And he ultimately journeys to Rome, but not as a free man to go there and preach the gospel and plant the church. He's taken to Rome under the custody of the Roman government as a prisoner of Rome to go and appear before Caesar, yet along the way he had the opportunity to preach the gospel to soldiers and political figures and impact them in the things of God. Then as Paul's en route there on a boat, the boat that he's on gets shipwrecked. And Paul ends up on a boat struggling to survive with a whole bunch of other people, but guess what? In the midst of that, 
he gets a chance to talk about God to fellow prisoners and to crew members on that boat. He's shipwrecked. They swim to shore. They end up on the island of Malta. Paul tries to be a servant. He's trying to get a fire going, keep everybody warm and dry. Then he gets bit by a poisonous snake. Doesn't following God sound wonderful? He's got a great plan for your life. <laughs> but as he gets bit by a poisonous snake, he shakes it off in faith and the Lord heals him. And as a result, people are amazed and it opens the door for Paul to preach the gospel and to see many people minister to there on that island of Malta. Ultimately, Paul does arrive in Rome, but once he gets to Rome, in fact, if you want to maybe turn back a page, look at Acts 28, verse 30 and 31, the last two verses of the book of Acts. Acts 28, verse 30, here's what happens when Paul gets to Rome. It tells us, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, and he received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Paul ultimately gets to Rome, much different than he envisioned it would be, but it's not like typical. Paul does not go to Rome free to go into the synagogues and preach the gospels like he did in other towns. He does not get into Rome and be able to plant a church as he did in many other locations. Instead, he shows up as a prisoner and by God's orchestration, God allots him a house ministry. But in the midst of that house ministry, notice he's impacting tons of people individually and personally, one by one. People are coming to Christ and people are being discipled. Instead of having a, a church planning ministry, instead of planning a church or preaching publicly, he's being used in an individual way and he's having a powerful impact on just as many people as God gets him there to Rome and people are getting saved and the government's not hindering what he's doing. And this happens according to God's orchestration. That was how God ultimately fulfilled the desire of Paul's heart to get to Rome. But it doesn't stop there. Because Paul's being hindered from getting to Rome, as we're studying this morning, what else does he do? The Holy Spirit puts on his heart to write a letter to Rome that gives us probably some of the richest doctrinal theology of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ that we have in our entire Bible. He preached the gospel to Rome in a letter. He thought he was going to go there and preach, but he writes a letter that is used, listen, in a far more reaching way than if he had been there for a short season of his life preaching publicly and pastoring a church. Because this letter of Rome has not only strengthened one generation of Christians, but to this day still, people are saved through the book of Romans. Christians are strengthened through the book of Romans. And I want to say this this morning, be encouraged regarding the desires God's put in your heart. God's going to work. In his way and in his time, he will fulfill the desires he put in your heart, but leave the specifics of how he orchestrates it up to him. Let him be God. He may indeed, as a wise investor, work in a way where maybe he runs some hindrances, maybe he orchestrates and accomplishes it in a way that you didn't envision or imagine, but God's a good investor and he wants maximum impact. And he knows just how to do that. He knows what he's doing. Do you feel this morning something in your life is being hindered? Take heart. God's in control. He's got a plan. Let him orchestrate it.